0: Today, We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We've been journeying through this gospel of Mark, and we're in this section where Jesus is traveling with purpose. He has traveled in the last week between chapter 9, which we talked about last Sunday, and chapter 10 this week south south from the region of Galilee in the north, where most of his ministry has occurred, now down to the region of Judea, which is home to the city of Jerusalem. He began this time of intentional journeying, having predicted his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. And he's traveling now with purpose toward the place that he knows will be the place of his passion. As he travels, he has been reminding his disciples of what he told them about what would happen to him. They, like us, are so quick to forget. And he's been teaching them what it means to be a disciple of his. As much as there are still crowds who follow him, there's still people on the outside listening for his teaching, people who cry out for healing. The reality is that ever since Peter confessed Jesus as the Messiah, ever since he first announced his suffering and death, Jesus has now been taking every opportunity that he can to encourage his disciples, to teach them what it means to follow him, to reveal to them that they are not only following his physical journey through these valleys toward Jerusalem, but they've been invited on a spiritual journey that their lives might look like and take the shape of his life as well. This is also our Lenten journey, not only reading and following as Jesus takes those meandering paths to Jerusalem, but also considering how Jesus' words to his disciples are words to his disciples today as well. Wrestling with how the journey of these people is also the journey that we have been invited on, that remains offered to us in this city and us in this world for the lives that we know now. Today, we've heard about crowds bringing little children to Jesus and a rich man who is eager to inherit eternal life. There are crowds to whom Jesus ministers, but once again, the focus of these interactions is actually on his disciples, it's actually on helping them to see and understand the purpose of the journey, on helping us to know the way of discipleship, the way of the cross. Some people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Mark doesn't tell us why they rebuked them. As we heard in the kids' moment, we can guess. We can guess that maybe it was because they felt Jesus was too important for this. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Don't they know? Jesus is about the business of revealing the kingdom of God. Haven't they heard? He doesn't have time for little children. Little children who were the least important people, of no use to the cause the disciples have in their minds, of no real consequence to Israel until they're older and can do something on their own, until they can come to Jesus themselves. Until then, it's probably best to keep them away. The disciples are actually abusing their authority in this passage as they try to prevent people from coming to jesus jesus has called them and given them authority to announce the kingdom yet here they conceal it here they rebuke people for desiring that children should be drawn near to jesus they've missed something along the way despite their being so close to the lord and if they've missed something so drastic that they could use their authority in this harmful way, I wonder what we may have missed as well. Who are we trying to keep from coming to Jesus? Whose stories do we not value enough to bring into Jesus's presence? Whose talents do we not respect enough to desire that they should be given to the glory of God in the church. Who do we rebuke as they try to draw near to Jesus? Whatever it is, whoever it may be, Jesus, we know, will have harsh words for us. Because when Jesus saw that his disciples were behaving in this way, were keeping children from being brought to him, he was indignant, Mark says. Indignant, and you can hear it in just the way Jesus gives his instructions to the disciples. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. There's actually no and in the Greek. That's been added so it's easier for us to read. Jesus gives two commands back to back, hurriedly. The urgency with which Jesus speaks these words is clear, the correction which he offers is plain. Then he says, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. First, we learn that receiving and entering the kingdom are two different things. We have to receive it first and later we will enter it. But second, and the more important thing, the place where we'll linger is we learn that we must receive the kingdom as a little child. How does the kingdom of God belong to little children like these? Why must we receive it like a little child? I think that the next story is meant to help us to understand. So as Jesus is returning to his journey, a man runs up to him and falls on his knees before him. Obviously, the disciples' days as bouncers are behind them, or the importance of this man was plain to them, so they made no effort to keep him away as they'd done with the children. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We can tell from his hurry and his posture, he is eager to know. He throws this word good around. This was not done in the Jewish culture, so Jesus challenges him. No one is good except God. It's like Jesus is asking, do you stand by your use of this word good? And if you do, are you prepared to listen to me as the one who is good? Or have you been mistaken? Then Jesus gives the man the answer that he expects. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. The man expected this answer. He was prepared for it. Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. He has kept these commandments since he was a little older than the children that we met in the previous story, since he was just old enough to have responsibility for the law himself. This is a list which would trip any of us up. We who stole something once as a teenager, we who have lied about our friends and our neighbors, we who have not reported all of our income to the government we who have not always honored our father and mother. This list is a list that any of us would fail, but it does not stop this man in the least. He is sure he has kept all these laws. He believes himself to be good. Not only good teacher, good me who comes to you. This is how he understands himself. He would probably assert, I'm a good person at heart. And isn't that the way we would all describe ourselves? Even though we're maybe a little more honest that we haven't kept all those laws perfectly since we were children, we would still say, but I'm a good person at heart. And this man probably feels that he deserves eternal life because he's kept the law. Nevertheless, there seems to be something inside of him that tells him that a piece is missing. Something inside of him tells him he needs to ask this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? All these laws he has kept since he was a boy. And Jesus looks on him and he loves him. What a marvelous declaration. Jesus looks at him and he sees him for who he is, sure of himself, but deeply lost, desiring of God's kingdom, but in love with his wealth, faithful to the law, but wanting so much more. And Jesus loves him. Jesus sees the beautiful and the broken man who kneels before him, and he loves him, before he says anything else, he has kept the law, he says. So then there is only one thing that he lacks go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. One thing is lacked, and that thing is the way of the cross, which the disciples have been called to. Giving of himself in his devotion to God and complete trust in God, even in suffering, even in poverty. This is what he lacked. For somebody who has kept the whole law since he was a boy, somebody who is so eager for the kingdom that he kneels before Jesus, for somebody like that, we might think this is easy, but it's not. The man understands. He understands the depths of the call which Jesus has offered to him. He grasps the difficulty of discipleship and he sees that he cannot do it. His face falls. He goes away sad because he had great wealth. Some might say Jesus has been overly harsh with him. Couldn't Jesus have started with a simpler invitation? Give half of what you have to the poor and follow me. Couldn't Jesus have been more accommodating for that greater purpose of welcoming this man to begin his journey of following him? Here we see a contrast with the previous story. This man is not at all prevented from coming to Jesus, but he's given a choice about following. The cost of following, it's not hidden from him. Earlier, I asked us who we might be preventing from coming to Jesus. But that question doesn't mean that we hide the cost of following Jesus for fear that some might choose not to follow. Because to follow is costly. It demands complete obedience. And even though we will struggle, we must try. People in our church have strained family relationships because of their faith. They have lost friendships because they cannot do what they once did with their friends as they follow Jesus. They have relinquished dreams which they held since childhood for the greater vision of the kingdom of God. We do no one any favors by concealing the cost to follow. But even as we acknowledge the cost, like Jesus, we point to the greater treasure of the kingdom of God that the gift which God offers to us is surpassing all that we might lose on account of it. For this man, he must have believed that he was better off with his treasures and his wealth than he would be with Christ. Despite his earnestness for the kingdom, he would prefer to lose the inheritance of eternal life than to lose his many treasures. What cost would cause us to answer in such a way? Would homes, siblings, parents, children, fields, or career prevent us from following Jesus? Does the pleasure of our YouTube rabbit holes, of scrolling our Instagram feeds, of alcohol, of drugs, of our sexual satisfaction, of indulgent food, Does anything else make us eager to sacrifice time in Scripture, time in prayer, time caring for others, time on the road with Jesus? I don't think we're so different from this man at all. And so in Lent, we try to reorder our priorities such that when Christ's invitation comes to us and we hear it, our faces might not fall, that we might not turn away sad, but with joy we can turn and follow. Jesus loved this man knowing he would walk away from him. The declaration that Jesus specifically loved this man is unique in Mark's gospel. And perhaps it is meant to be a model of Jesus' love. Perhaps we are being told that Jesus does not only love those who follow, but Jesus loves the world. Jesus loves the world that in its created goodness has eternity set in its heart. Jesus loves the lost sheep who will keep going off and wandering despite having come so close to the shepherd. Jesus looks on this lost sheep of the children of Israel, and he loves him, though this man will love his wealth more. What incredibly good news for all of us. And then Jesus says to his disciples something that might sound like bad news. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples are amazed by his words, maybe amazed in a way that we're not particularly. But this is unexpected. If it's difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom, what a surprising claim that is. Because surely those who God has so richly blessed must be first in line for the kingdom. But Jesus repeats himself to ensure that he was heard. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus seems to make his statement more severe. It's not only hard, but in fact, it sounds impossible. Given the amazement of the disciples and their response of who then can be saved, we're supposed to hear Jesus' words literally. Literally. This is not some play on words or some cultural reference that we don't get. It's actual camels who were the biggest animals in that region and actual needles that had the smallest holes we could imagine that Jesus is saying is like trying to get the rich into the kingdom of God. Who then can be saved? Why is it so difficult? Why is it harder than a camel through a needle's eye? Well, it's not the riches themselves. Jesus doesn't tell everybody he meets that they have to sell everything they have first. That's not a prerequisite for everybody. So what is it about this man and what is it about the rich that makes it so difficult? It's about the way that riches impact us and impact our hearts. We grow to love our wealth. As St. Augustine wrote, Such, O my soul, are the miseries that attend on riches. They are gained with toil and kept with fear. They are enjoyed with danger and lost with grief. It is hard to be saved if we have them and impossible if we love them. And scarcely can we have them but we shall love them inordinately. It's certainly the love of riches that prevents us from following Jesus well, from entering the kingdom. But I think it's more than that too. Something else is happening here and this is where we connect back to the little children from earlier in the reading. With wealth comes the lie of self-sufficiency. We know it in our culture, the self-made millionaire the founder's myth of every tech company you've heard of, that a great person did a great thing and was rewarded greatly. We believe these lies, and we believe these lies about ourselves as well. The rich man believed this lie. Look at the question that he first asked Jesus. What must I do? He is used to doing things for himself handling his own business, taking care of his life, ensuring that he has everything he needs and can get everything that he wants as well. So what does he need to do to inherit eternal life? As if he could do anything. Most of us are rich in this way. We don't think of ourselves as rich, but we live in a rich culture. And most of us are rich in the way that we have convinced ourselves of our self-sufficiency. Most of us are convinced of that lie that we do not need another's help, that we can take care of ourselves. Most of us have not recently been at the mercy of our family or of strangers even. Most of us live solitary lives, alone in a condo or in a very small family unit. We here have adult responsibilities. We pay our bills, We make sure we get to work or class on time. We file our taxes. We deal with insurance companies. Others count on us. We take care of our children. Some of us take care of our parents. We check in on our neighbors. And we support those who report to us at work. We look after customer concerns. Like this rich man, most of us are used to taking care of things in our own power on our own and how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God why because as Jesus told us the kingdom of God belongs to such as little as these little children he told us the truth anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it little children aren't self-sufficient don't pretend to be self-sufficient Little children rely on others for everything. They rely on others to be brought where they need to be, when they need to be there. They rely on others to have food and shelter and love and belonging. They have no illusion of earning these things. They have no thought that they deserve better than that which is freely given to them. They depend on their caregivers. And this is the way and the only way To receive the kingdom of God, to simply receive it. What must we do to enter it? Nothing. There is nothing we can do. We are poor and we are powerless despite all that we have that tries to tell us otherwise. Now, some of us know that feeling of poverty, of depending on the charity of others to make rent at the end of the month of not having enough money to buy groceries and turning to a food bank to ensure we or our family have our next meal. And often there is shame associated with this poverty. Shame with, with, <laughs> which our culture tells us is ours because we're a burden to other people, because we can't take care of ourselves and we should. This is what we're told, but it is also a lie. Because God provides for us all, rich and poor alike, and we are all equally helpless in God's sight, entirely dependent on the one who is the source of all goodness and the source of all life. The kingdom of God can only be entered by one who knows they are helpless and small, who knows their need for others and their need for God, who has no claim to it on their own, who does not seek to earn it, but to receive it as a gift of love without shame and with much joy. Jesus looked at the man who asked what he must do to inherit eternal life, who had kept all the rules in that effort and had come up wanting. He looked on a man who would love his independence and his wealth more than the kingdom that he sought. Jesus looked at this man as he was, and he loved him. Jesus looks at you this morning. Looks at you who have been trying so hard for so long to take care of yourself, to take care of your family. Looks at you who have striven for goals that seem just beyond your reach despite having done everything right. Looks at you who have found frustration and failure at every turn and you persevere, but you feel ready to give up. Jesus looks at you who say you've been following closely for a long time and looks at you who are still very far off. Jesus looks at you and loves you and desires to welcome you into his presence, onto his road, into his kingdom. Jesus looks at you this morning and he loves you. And he invites you to know the truth that with God, all things are possible. In God, weak and helpless, hurting and lonely, rich and poor are welcomed into life abundant if they will only receive it as a small child, as a gift that they could not earn. Hear Jesus's invitation as one who he loves. Give up your illusions of self-sufficiency. Give up your striving to make it on your own. Choose the humble way where Jesus walks and find more than you ever hoped for, the very kingdom of God. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I want to invite you into a time of prayer, and I'll guide us through this time this week. We're going to be praying about the places where we are trying to be self-sufficient and coming up short. I'm going to invite you to relinquish that to God. We're going to pray about the ways that we've been striving to earn the kingdom. And you're going to give up those ways. We're going to pray about the hard road that Jesus has offered to us in this season. That he might lift up our faces and encourage us on our journey. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you said that you told us the truth, that anyone who will not receive the kingdom as a little child will never enter it. And so we come to you this morning as children of your father, as beloved children. We feel that you look on us with love even now. And we confess to you the ways that we've been trying to enter the kingdom on our own. The ways that we've been trying to take care of ourselves and not be your children. We pray that your Holy Spirit would bring to our minds in these few moments all the places where, where we are trying to make it on our own and help us relinquish those places to you to come to you as little children, relying on your grace and your love. faithful Jesus. We know that you desire to give us your kingdom, to welcome you into your love as a free gift. But many of us have been striving to be good enough to earn your kingdom, to earn your salvation. We've been asking what must we do? And so we pray that you would speak to us in these moments. Assure us that there is nothing we can do that you desire to welcome us in. Help us to lay down the burden of being good enough, the name that you and you alone are good. Jesus, we hear your invitation to this man to the hard road of discipleship, to give up the riches he's loved, to find greater riches with you. We know that each of us have been invited on a similar road with similar hardships, that there will be cost and sacrifice in following you. Help us hear again your invitation to follow. And help us not to be downcast and sad and to turn away from you, but encourage us by the joy of your salvation. Help our faces to rise in the light of your love. Help us to hear that invitation again today to joyfully join you on your journey that is the way of life. Good Lord, thank you for inviting us into your kingdom, for loving us despite our failings, for working for us because we could not work for ourselves. We pray that you would journey with us on the road that you have set us on, that we would know your presence and your closeness to us, that though we might be frail and helpless on our own, we would find in you strength and comfort and help, that you would be our delight and our joy above all else. We pray this in your strong name. Amen.